The world is filled with many questions, such as, did giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans, and that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world? How serious even is climate change, and when should we start building our rafts? Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Bruna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything, available everywhere you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend, the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, Women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. It began long ago. Two young boys in an American town riding their bikes to school and Little League practice. Over the years, the boys became fast friends, united in their love for stories where things would go horribly wrong. Pour yourself a strong beverage and buckle up. You're in the shallow end with Schnepple and Toff. We love getting emails here at the Shallow End Podcast. It's uh, lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. And we received a message earlier this week. Uh, Somebody said that they really, and Deborah, in fact, said she really enjoys it when Lindsay tells backstage stories from his time at Disneyland. Well, who doesn't? (laughs) and to implore you to share some more with us. I had uh, dinner just last night with uh, four or five people that I used to work with there. And this is not a story that takes place at Disneyland, but this is this does involve a cast member uh, okay. who we'll call Steve in New York. And <laughs> Steve and his... Because that's his name? Or? <laughs> as far as you know. And uh, <laughs> Steve and his wife have been invited to dinner with their daughter's boyfriend and boyfriend's family. And they think, well, that's a very, very generous thing to do. And it just happens to be the holidays, like just before Christmas. So they end up at their favorite, at the, at the other family's favorite restaurant. It's, and it's like 10, 12 people. And it's a very, very nice restaurant. So Steve ends up sitting at the head of the table, kind of not by design, but just sort of that's where he ends up. And they, you know, produce a wine list and he's, he and his wife are there uh, as a guest of the other family. So they order dinner, and it's one of those long, you know, multi-course, like three-hour affairs. And finally, oh, yeah. the end of the, uh, at the end of the night, the waiter puts the check down in front of Steve. And Steve kind of looks like, oh, and doesn't quite know how to say, you know, it's the other guy, his, because <laughs> we're guests of him, and he invited us, and finally says to the waiter, hey, I'm not, I'm, I, I don't think I'm the, the one who's supposed to pay this. And the waiter says, you're at the head of the table and walks away. So <laughs> Steve thinks, well, I'll pay for part of it and takes his credit card and tries to sort of show the other people at the table, hey, look, the check is here. It's uh, happening. Yeah, I'm slow motion getting my credit card. Nobody really sees that. So he's got the little <laughs> sleeve with his credit card kind of trying to politely hold it up like, hey, I guess it's time for all of us to chip in. And the waiter comes from behind him and just snatches it Wow! and takes off and comes back a few minutes later and 
puts it down in front of Steve. Even Steve's wife at this point has gone to the restroom, so she doesn't see what's happening. And Steve opens up <laughs> the card case, and there's his credit card tucked in with the bill for $1,400. Oh! Yeah, yeah. And we all says to him last night at the table, we all says, so what did you do? And he says, I paid it. <laughs> oh, and the, uh, the other... F- the other families like, oh, that was so nice of you. You didn't have to do that. This was going to be our tree. Hey, we'll get the next one. We'll meet you Thursday at Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> Subways. <laughs> uh, it's footlong night on Thursdays. So uh, his advice is never sit at the uh, at the head of the table. Okay. Well, that is, that, that's very, very good advice. Yeah. Boy, you Disney folk is crazy. Aren't we though? I'll tell you, when we get our drink on, the story starts spewing like Niagara Falls. Well, do you have another story for us? This time, more in the vein of... Say the uh, shallow end? That's the one. That thing. This is actually interesting because I believe you guys did a story about this man very early on in the history of Box. This is about a hidden treasure hidden by a guy named Forrest Fenn. Fenn's Fenn's treasure. treasure. Exactly. He was Mm -hmm. 80 years old and he had buried... Well, didn't bury, he hid... $2 $2 million in somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. And it was it was uh, 19th century coins and gold nuggets and jewels and pre-Columbian artifacts. And it was a small bronze chest. And he wrote this, self-published this book, The Thrill of the Chase. You guys talked about this. So he had, uh, just for, for those who perhaps did not hear that earlier story, this public, self-published book was called The Thrill of the Chase. And it had 10 or so clues hidden in a poem in that book. And it's very, very odd. It's very ethereal. Uh, begin it where warm waters halt and take it in the canyon down. Not far, but too far to walk. Put in below the home of Brown. The end is drawing ever nigh. There'll be no paddle up your creek, just heavy loads and water high. If you've been wise and found the blaze, look quickly down your quest to cease. But tarry scant with marvel gaze, just take the chest and go in peace. I lost interest in uh, doing any of that when he said we needed to take it in the canyon below. Yeah, I cannot believe that that is not intentionally yeah. sexual. Well, it might have been. You know, when you're 80 years old and you're an eccentric art dealer, you can get away with that crap. He's talking yep. about putting it yeah. in mm-hmm. and yep. into the yeah. brown. Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Senny Hoosel, uh, that was 2010 <laughs> that he uh, that he introduced this uh, this story, this this treasure hunt. So now it's 10 years later. It's 10 years after Forrest Fenn has unveiled this, this curse, if you will, <laughs> on, on so many people saying it's $2 million. It's out there. Just pay attention to this book and you'll find it. And a gentleman named Michael Sexton from Deer Park, Colorado, thinks, I can do this. It's been a decade. Nobody's found it. Now, true, four people actually ended up dying in their effort to find this treasure. But Michael just knew that he could figure out where this was buried based on these clues in the book. So he talks a 65-year-old friend from Thornton, Colorado, a suburb of Denver, into joining him on this treasure hunt. And he says, we're going to be rich, I tell you, rich, $2 million. So in February of 2020, they head to... Dinosaur National Monument. That's on the Colorado-Utah border. And Michael is so certain 
that he has figured out where their treasure is is hidden that he says to his friend buddy we don't even do, we don't even need any provisions for an overnight stay i've got this figured out i am that confident he figures they're going to be home by sunset and they're going to have two million dollars worth of stuff well michael was wrong they not only didn't find this treasure their their first time out they lost their bearings they're cold they're hungry they're disoriented and they're actually shivering and close to death from hyperthermia but amazingly they were in this remote spot where they could still get a cell signal and they were able to call 911 and they actually wow. had a search and rescue team who brought them down in the nick of time now if you're somebody who has literally come that close to death and you clearly can see that searching for this is a very very dangerous thing to do what do you think you would do immediately go back with no support whatsoever no i'm on board with that just do the exact same thing again close (laughs) it's it's been a month and having sufficiently recovered you know the the frostbite's all healed they think, well, Michael thinks, we got to do this again, because this time I know right. I'm going to do it. And at first, his 65-year-old colleague, who, by the way, to, to this day, has refused to uh, reveal his name, because he's just embarrassed and pissed <laughs> off that he not only fell for this one time, he fell for it twice. That's fair. Now, <clears throat> this is about the time, uh, 2020, spring of 2020, where COVID is really starting to become a thing. You guys remember that. So much so that the park rangers at Dinosaur National Monument, where these these two guys are looking, are actually of telling people, do not come hiking here because it's dangerous for first responders as it is this time of year. But it's even worse if people aren't quarantining. Mm. But Michael thinks, no, 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 I got this. Trust me, I got this. <laughs> so on Tuesday, March 17th, he leaves Denver. But this time, to your point about being prepared, he's got a few candy bars, two bottles mm. of water, a copy of, uh, of Mr. Fenn's book, and the clothes on his back. So just outside the park, they rent s- two snowmobiles, and they load them onto the bed of their pickup truck. Now, picture yourself this rental agent who's watching these guys load snowmobiles onto their pickup truck and they're driving off into the northwest boundary of the park and he's thinking how how long before they come back because they don't even have snow gear they've got like a light jacket and jeans and sure enough it gets to be dark these guys aren't back with the snowmobiles so he calls the local authorities and says, hey, I rented these snowmobiles to these two guys. It's now dark. They're not back. And the authorities, you can just picture the eye roll and think, okay, well, we can't do anything overnight because it's pitch black. But on the morning of Friday, March 20th, they head back out. And sure enough, they actually find in the snow two abandoned snowmobiles. And because it's snowing, they follow a line of footprints from said snowmobiles. They get about a mile and 
they find these two guys. Now, sadly, Michael has succumbed to the cold. But this other guy, his 65-year-old friend, is actually alive. And he's, he survives. He's airlifted out back to a hospital in the nearest town and survives. But to this day, refuses to talk about the ordeal. So there is, I, I don't want to be totally downer on this. There is some bright news to this story. And that is the guy who actually ended up finding this treasure is a guy named Jack Stoof. He was a 32-year-old Michigan native, a medical student. And he says... The moment it happened was not the triumphant Hollywood ending that some surely envisioned. It just felt like I'd survived something and was fortunate to come out on the other end. He said it took him 25 full days of scouring one specific area to locate the treasure. And even though he solved that riddle two years before in 2018, he wasn't able to locate the actual chest until two years later. And it was in Yellowstone National Park. crap. And he says, this treasure hunt was the most frustrating experience of my life. There were a few times when I was exhausted, covered in scratches and bites and sweat and pine pitch. Nearing the end of my day's water supply, I would just sit down on a downed tree and sob alone in the woods in sheer sheer frustration. That's not a fun treasure hunt at all. No, it's not a fun. Granted, you you know, you got $2 million, but but what you had to do to, to get through... Come to find right. that even though uh, this this guy, obviously, Jack knew where, where it was because he found it, but Forrest Fenn, the guy who hid the treasure, this is something we learned only a while back, he actually went to the Park Service and said, this is where I have hidden this. Once it's found, is it okay to publicize where I've hidden it? Because I don't want to draw people to this place if the ground itself can't withstand the foot traffic for people to come. And just they just wanted to see where it was hidden. Oh, yeah. And the right. chief park ranger in Yellowstone said, no, I agree. This, this environment is too sensitive. It's not built up with paths and, and such. So they, even though the treasure's long been discovered, they won't even tell you where it was because they are still trying to protect that land, which I thought was was really cool that they're that concerned about That's the environment. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. I pulled this from the Denver Post, Darwin Awards, and the DailyMail.com. Oh. It was a story that I saw not too long ago about a guy, I think it was Yellowstone. He decided that he was going to take a natural jacuzzi. Oh, no. Yeah. In and, hot springs? Yep. <sighs> and he got in it, and uh, of course, that's like acid yeah and extremely hot and well he let's just say he will never do that yeah i actually it's funny you'd say this because my wife worked in yellowstone in college during the summers and they would actually do this it's called hot potting and it's 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 jacuzziing in these springs that are safe to do that you're not allowed to do it but they would sneak off at night and do this and the, the number of stories that I came across of, as I was looking for shallow end stories, of people who do this and instantly they're, they're bathing in acid and a few minutes later, it's just their skeleton. It's crazy. Oh, it's I hate that. just like how many times do you think you have to be told, 
don't soak in acid. <laughs> don't soak in a boiling cauldron of acid. It could hurt your skin. You're in the shallow end with Schnappy and Talk. Critics are raving about Nan McNamara's new documentary, Nothing. A full hour and a half with no story, no action, no video, and no audio. Just nothing. Tim Vanek of the Boston Documentary Review says, Absolutely nothing happens for a full 90 minutes. Literally nothing. I was transfixed. The Arizona Arts Monthly calls it one of the most compelling pieces of film I've ever experienced. Nothing can prepare you for nothing. And John Audie of the San Francisco Film Weekly writes, I got lost driving home. I still don't know what to make of this film. It was both riveting and baffling, and I've seen it five times. Five stars for nothing. Be among the first to see nothing. You won't believe what you don't see. Some scenes may be disturbing for people used to seeing things happen on screen. Your discretion is advised. This film is not yet rated. Nothing in select theaters now. You know, JG, this is the time of year where people start planning family reunions for the summer. In fact, I have one coming up in June, and I'm absolutely convinced that these cousins that I haven't seen for a while are finally going to tell me, yeah, I listened to your podcast I don't think you guys are very good. I didn't laugh. Well, humor is subjective. So while you may have to grin and bear with your family, you shouldn't feel that way when you're talking to your doctor about, I don't know, that you maybe eat pizza one too many times a week, something like that. Well, enter ZocDoc. That's the place where you can find and book doctors will make you feel comfortable and actually listen to you. And these docs all have verified reviews from actual, real patients. And we're not talking about a few. We're talking about tens of thousands of doctors. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Look, people love this app and this website. Next time I'm looking for a doctor, this is definitely what I'm going to use. Go to ZocDoc.com slash TSE and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash T-S-E. ZocDoc.com slash T-S-E. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. We're promoting your self-esteem through other people's stupidity. You're in the shallow end with Schnebly and Toth. As I mentioned at the beginning of the program, uh, we love getting correspondence from you. Mm-hmm. Lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. Lauren wrote to us, Hi, y'all. In episode 10, the commercial in the middle was about Meat Town becoming Meat City. Well, here in Billings, Montana, we have 
the Meat Palace. <laughs> Braggart. Rub it in. And uh, Lauren sent a photo of of the Meat Palace. Uh, she clarified that it is a butcher shop. Again, it sounds yeah. so dirty. <laughs> yep. Hope you all enjoy. Thank, Thank you, Lauren, Lauren, for taking the time Beautiful. to not only share that with us, but to send a photo to document your claim. Not that we wouldn't have believed you without it. Gentleman from uh, Georgia, uh, at least he did live in Georgia, I'm not sure where he lives now, named Tony, says, I love listening to the TSE, the shallow end, and all the accounts described. While not as lethal as the drunken couple with dynamite, their story reminded me of an army experience I had in 1988 in Augusta, Georgia, while stationed there as a young officer for some military schooling. One of my classmates, Jerry, got a new-to-him car, and as a young 20-something recent college graduate, we hit up a local watering hole. They thought it would be funny if they were doing shots of water while I had shots of tequila. This actually happened to Uh me after I graduated from college, but it happened with two buddies who I thought were still drinking Long Island iced teas, and they had switched to regular iced tea, (laughs) and I had something like, I don't even remember how many Long Island iced teas, and... That's one of the worst experiences of my life. Anyway, back to Tony's <laughs> back imagine. to Tony's email. Needless to say, my competitive nature worked against me as I was pretty hammered and they were laughing and carrying on. The establishment asked that I be removed. So they obligingly poured me into the new car. I was placed in the front seat and pretty soon the ride on Bobby Jones Expressway back to Fort Gordon had my belly full of tequila and full revolt. I slurred, pull over. Jerry, the driver, said, just open the window. Now, I may have been drunk, but I was an engineer by education, and even I knew this was a bad idea. I tried to explain why, but none of these geniuses were going to believe a drunken engineer, so eventually, the open window of a moving car was my only option other than the floorboard in front of me, as Jerry was not going to stop. So I hurled out the window. It came right back in the open back window of the car, getting the guys in the back seat. I managed to have my revenge as Jerry's car smelled for weeks and was not helped by the hot Georgia summer. I don't remember going through the front gate of Fort Gordon. I don't know that Jerry told the MPs as we rolled up, but I'm sure they could smell the car and the vomit. None of us were locked up, so (laughs) we must have had a pretty good salesman or rather sympathetic. It's a great story now and certainly not as lethal as dynamite or blowing up condom machines. I vaguely remember seeing such machines in public during my stations in Germany and Italy. So, yes, it really is a thing. Any hoozle, thanks for your content. Keep the laughs coming. Tony, P.S. Don't drink tequila to this day. Yeah, I can certainly understand why. Isn't that oh funny God. how he's lucky he to surely be alive. Is, yeah, it's funny how so many people have stories about tequila and gin that to this day they cannot <clears throat> drink either of those alcohol because of bad experiences. When Cat turned 16. Oh, I I cannot wait to hear Come this. On. Do go on, no, Jeff, no. go on. This is all hearsay, but I've been told when Cat turned 16, she celebrated by um Downing 16 shots oh of tequila. God, it wasn't just tequila. It was a variety of Oh, oh that, that makes it Honey. better. Yeah. I, Honey. yeah. The bar, the, she was in a classy uh, residence. The bar was actually <clears throat> bottles propped up on the washing machine. Yeah. Was this at your house or a friend's house, Kat? It was my okay. house. It was my birthday. And so. Yeah. Wow. And then what happened? I don't know. <laughs> There's roughly no. a 72-hour <clears throat> period there where your your hard drive has no data. Don't don't recall much of that. Oh, lost oh. that somewhere. I didn't know we were sharing that though. That's mm. that's fun. So if you were say going to be going to Cabo for a vacation, would you not <laughs> be able to have a margarita? 
Oh, no, I, I still partay. <laughs> oh, good for you. No, I feel yeah. like it just built up my tolerance. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Way to make lemonade. Mm-hmm. With a little bit of tequila. With a little tequila. gin. Yeah, with oh. a little gin or tequila. Yeah. Hey, Lynn, do you remember when I was doing the morning show at KRQ in do Tucson? I? You, you probably do, considering you were on the show with me from time to time. You were my favorite show in, uh, in <laughs> Tucson radio. And I did a lot of stupid stuff that got me in trouble. Did you? Yep. Do you remember this one? As you know, Arizona does not observe daylight saving time. It's on Mountain Standard Time, always. It does not observe daylight saving time, except for the Navajo Nation. Can I just interrupt for just one second and say, God bless you for saying daylight saving singular and not daylight savings? you would appreciate that. God, I love you. Go on. (laughs) Now, they do not observe daylight savings time. That was a joke. I got it. In fact, they actually did observe it from 1918 through 1968. That was news to me. So I thought it would be funny on April Fool's Day when I was working at the radio station in Tucson, if I reminded everybody to set their clocks back and uh, I even told the audience that uh, I was going to do this the hour before I did it. I said, here's what I'm going to do. Thinking, you know, everybody would be in on the joke. Um, I even went as far as to call it bonehead standard time. (laughs) Now, see, this is really smart. I didn't think people would do it. (laughs) I was wrong. Yeah, you were. I was very, very wrong. I didn't factor in that uh, there were a lot of tourists and snowbirds in the area that time of year. Mm -hmm. And so they weren't aware. Whatever. People started showing up to their doctor's appointments or whatever an hour early. And soon the the local townspeople were calling for my immediate beheading. (laughs) I wasn't beheaded. They did set a time for that, but I was late. Uh Um, Daylight saving time probably has seen its day. I think we would all agree with that. Yeah. Down with it. Yes. Our recent survey says most people in the U.S. think it should be rescinded. I hate it. I do too. I think we all do. do. All do. There are just too many variations of time. Uh, Arizona is a good example just within that state. In the Middle East, daylight saving time being switched to Eastern Standard Time in Israel has caused some big, big problems there. Israelis switch times early to promote religious redemption. The Palestinians, on the other hand, decided to wait two weeks like everybody else, citing patriotism. Huh. As you can imagine, this uh, screwed a lot of things up. Uh, it's a relatively small region of the world, and for a couple of weeks every year, they operate on two different clocks. Jeez. Business meetings and medical appointments are affected, as well as one uh, major peace negotiation that was scheduled to take place, but one of the parties didn't show up. Um, <laughs> Charles Winning Knight Ingram, who a was a British... A British Deputy Consul General. Can I pause you just for yes, a second? Certainly. And acknowledge that amazing name? Yeah, it is pretty amazing. Please yeah. repeat. Should I do it like... Oh, like, yes. Underbite like, it. Like Thurston Howe? You know how I love Charles your Thurston Howe. <laughs> Winnegate Ingram, a British Deputy Consul General. He said, quote, Yesterday we hosted a dinner. The Israelis came an hour late. This is irritating. (laughs) And if you ask a Palestinian the date of this particular peace accord breakthrough, they would say it happened on September 5th, just past midnight. Uh, An Israeli would say it happened on September 4th, just after 11 p.m. Sure. 
In an article on CBSNews.com, a Palestinian cab driver expressed his outrage uh, over a passenger who called to be picked up at 10, and the cab arrived, presuming that he meant Israeli time because it was, in fact, in Israel. But by the time the cab arrived, the client had long since left. The cab driver said, quote, I lost 150 shekels, which is about $35. Now, the reason why Israel does switch early overnight on September 2nd is to accommodate pre-sunrise penitential prayers, which happen a week before the Jewish New Year hmm. and through Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Okay. Orthodox parties in the government had for years insisted on this switch, at least two weeks prior to the rest of the Northern Hemisphere, because a 5 a.m. sunrise discourages the attendance of those prayer meetings in the synagogue. Palestinians, on the other hand, don't like the idea of switching early just to appease religious Jewish people. So, this in fact increased tensions just before the Palestinians and Israelis sat down for this uh, particular peace negotiation. Well, I'm sure that helped, right? Yeah. In fact, during this two-week period when the clocks are different, if Palestinians were discovered to have switched their clock to coordinate with Israel, their neighbors would single them out and deride them for, quote, living on Zionist time. Holy cow. Can't we all just get along? Is there anything humans can't argue about? I, you know, it's crazy. At the same time, in Israel, Israeli soldiers would stop Palestinians and check their wristwatches. And if their watches were set an hour ahead, they would they would snatch them off their wrists and smash them. Wow. This wow. confusing time change situation has caused lots of problems, especially for terrorists. Oh. Oh. Do go on. <laughs> In September of 1999, several bombs were prepared by a small group of West Bank Palestinian terrorists. They were believed to be residents of a village inside Israel. The plan was for the three Arab terrorists to take these car bombs to two different locations, Tiberias and Haifa. The plan was to drive these car bombs to these cities during the peace accord meeting, set a timer, park the car, and then safely make their getaway. The bombs were set to go off at 6 p.m., Palestinian time. Uh huh. The three terrorists thought they had more than an hour to park the cars, make their getaway before the explosions. But as fate would have it, they failed to take into account the time change which had happened just the day before. <laughs> oh, that's too yeah. bad. Let's take a moment and that's, enjoy this. That's too bad. Poor terrorists. So the Haifa bomb exploded in a parking lot just after 5 p.m. local time, killing the suspected bomber. Oh. The Tiberius bomb uh, detonated almost exactly the same time and killed the other two terrorists. There was only one serious civilian injury, but three terrorists were practically vaporized. Oof. Which brings me to this headline from February of 2014. <clears throat> I'm going to do it in my old-time news guy Please voice. Please do. Cool. Dateline, Iraq. ISIS terror recruits blow themselves up in bomb class. <laughs> Again, how can you resist that headline? Yeah. In this case, 21 would-be suicide bombers and bomb makers that had been recruited by ISIS showed up bright and early for beginner's bomb-making class. Oh, 
<laughs> bomb making class was held at a camp that was located in an orchard near the city of Samara, about 60 miles outside of Baghdad. That's where I'd hold it. Now, one would understandably assume that the detonation was created by a yeah, novice bomb maker, but what actually happened was the instructor at bomb making class was demonstrating how to safely assemble the bomb and blew everybody up. Uh-oh. Evidently, he should have been in the class still. He killed himself and 20 student bombers. And the mental imagery of this, I just, I can't help but think of when I was a kid and would go to summer camp, I pictured the bombers sitting around picnic tables at a <laughs> playground. <laughs> but instead of making macaroni art, they're assembling incendiary devices. Yeah, and yeah. the instructor standing up front wearing baggy cargo shorts and a stained, <laughs> ill-fitting t-shirt with a whistle around his neck. Yeah. That's kind of how I see it. Calling out the work of the student in front of him. Oh, look at Yusef's bomb, everybody. Yusef's doing a very good job. Can you replicate Yusef's complexity in your design? <laughs> of, of course, the blast immediately was detected, and Iraqi authorities were alerted to the camp's location. And uh, that's where they discovered 21 would-be suicide bombers and bomb makers had blown themselves to bits. The Iraqi authorities then captured an additional wow. 23 bombers and bomb makers that survived the blast. So the end result, 44 less suicide bombers roaming around the streets of Syria and Iraq. Golf clap for that. Don't you love it when a problem solves itself? My information came from the Baltimore Sun, the Atlantic, the New York Times, and CBS News. Wow. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, baby. Take that. Effing terrorists. So I wonder if they'd have like that beginning bomb maker class and then you get you get moved along to uh, intermediate class. Probably. And if you don't get moved on to intermediate class, did you survive? Or do they just sit you down and say, you know, we don't think you have what it takes. You're not quite cut out to be uh, like the rest of us, but we appreciate your interest and maybe culinary school would be more your yeah. And, and as a sign of appreciation, here's a 15% coupon off for Wendy's. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but their lemonade, it's so good. <laughs> uh, yeah, Kat's been on this Wendy's lemonade tear. You know, lately. I heard you mention this the other day on uh, on Box, and uh, I thought to myself, I, I got to try me some of that stuff. Have you? I haven't. All right, well. It's particularly good with tequila. Oh, stop. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> Shallowendpodcast.com. That's where you can find us on the interwebbles, as the kids call it. We love hearing from you guys. Our email address is lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. And I've noticed, Linz, that the uh, lifeguard has been very good about getting back to people. I have noticed the same thing. I, uh, I was noticing uh, just this morning that so far ev every email that has come in uh, at least as far as I can tell, has been answered rather quickly uh, by the lifeguard. And I thought, well, that's that's a that's a very well uh, that's an upstanding thing to do. It will be a beautiful problem when we are deluged by so many emails from our subscribers that uh, the lifeguard just could not keep up. Dare I say drowning in emails? <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, we have fun here at the shallow end, don't we? We talk about this on uh, the Box of Oddities. It has, for a couple of years now, been impossible for us to answer each individual email. And we try to make a point now and then to point out that even if you don't hear back from us, we absolutely 100% read every single email that comes in. Yeah. It's just a lot. Yeah. It is a lot. And what struck me that... Uh, when the lifeguard forwarded these these things to us, the fact that people are so attached already to the new podcast, to to this yeah. podcast, the Shallow End, and this one that got sent uh, just yesterday, listening to your shows makes me feel like I'm hanging out with good friends. And I think How about that's that? a yeah. that's a compliment. It's really cool. We appreciate it. And we look forward to seeing you next time around. Remember, make good choices. Your life, well, it might depend on it. So concludes another episode of The Shallow End with Schnebley and Toff. We thank you for listening. Oh, be a dear, would you? Please subscribe to this podcast. Give these boys a five-star rating and think of something nice to say, even if you have to make something up. And visit us online at shallowendpodcast.com. All content copyright 2022. Misuse of this podcast may result in serious injury or even death. Follow all label directions. This offer void in Fort Kent, Maine and Tucson, Arizona. And parts of Orlando. Don't ask. Just trust us. Okay, gotta go. <laughs>